I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, it appears that you've found the mansion of Leaves of Glint. Uh, the whole mansion thing being a bit that's ruining how I introduce the show, uh, I have to figure that one out. This week, we'll continue reading uh, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Uh, it's the eighth novel, uh, and it's published in 1850. Uh, originally started as a serial for a magazine, and is widely considered his most popular work. Uh, Charles Dickens was born the 7th of February 1812, and he died the 9th of June 1870. I, as I always say, am desperate to find new information on an author who has so many chapters in his book, and I always want to say something about him in the beginning, but uh, this one's tough because I've run out. So uh, I'm going to continue reading from the Unparalleled Necromancer, a Mental Floss article. And in this article, uh, they talk about how he just became enamored with being a magician, even though he's already an accomplished author. So, previously, uh, he was reading his book, or a portion of his book, uh, following an act where someone did juggling and magic tricks, a man named Dobler. And that's what sparked his interest in the world of magic. Dickens was immediately hooked. After seeing Dobler's performance, he, together with his friend and eventual biographer John Forrester, purchased the entire stock of a magician supply store that was going out of business and began putting on amateur conjuring shows at home and at parties. According to Jane Carlyle, uh, Thomas Carlyle's wife, who saw Dickens put on a show at a Christmas party in December 1843, he eventually became a remarkably good performer. And she wrote to her cousin, Dickens and Forrester above all exerted themselves till the perspiration was pouring down and they seemed drunk with their efforts! Exclamation point. Only think of that excellent Dickens playing the conjurer for one whole hour. The best conjurer I ever saw. And I have paid money to see several. And Forrester acting as his servant! Exclamation point. This part of the entertainment concluded with a, a plum pudding made out of raw flour, uh, raw eggs, and all the raw usual ingredients, boiled in a gentleman's hat, and tumbled out, reeking, all in one minute before the eyes of the astonished children, and astonished uh, grown people, exclamation point, that trick, and his other of uh, changing ladies' pocket handkerchiefs into comfits, and a box full of bran into a box full of uh, a live guinea pig, exclamation point. Uh, would enable him to make a handsome subsistence, uh, lest the bookseller trade go as it please. So, uh, there's that. I read that too fast. Now I got a lot of time to spend uh, not talking about much of anything. Well, maybe we should recap what happened in the last, uh, the last chapter. Uh, Mr. Creakle uh, loves to beat the crap out of kids, uh, especially uh, little Davy uh, and another boy named Traddles, because they're both chubby. And he hates chubby kids. 
Straddles has a dark side. He keeps drawing skeletons on everything. But as he gets accused of crimes he didn't commit, he never rats anybody out, which is pretty nice of him. So he's kind of the hero. Uh, James Steerforth gets sassy with Mr. Mel. James Steerforth decided to get Mr. Mel fired by telling his horrible secret that his mother is poor. Uh, to Mr. Creakle, Steerforth hates poor people and asks uh, Mr. Mel to leave. Mr. Mel keeps patting David on the shoulder the entire time the speech is going on, so that was kind of weird. And David loves Steerforth for this, and I don't know why. It just shows his cruelty, but apparently uh, everyone's attracted to a jerk. Uh, Mr. Peggy and Ham show up uh, for a visit, and Steerforth doesn't seem to hate them for being poor, especially when they admit that they live in a boat. Uh, so, Mr. Peggy and Ham have brought a ton of lobster in a giant pocket, apparently. A ton of lobster and crab. And gives it to David to bring up to his room. And all the kids eat lobster, somehow, I guess, in the room, raw, just cracking open sea bugs and eating out the meat inside. And Trattles gets sick, but he won't snutch, uh, stitch out. And he gets beaten for it when uh, Creakle hates that he's sick. Well, there's the grandfather clock. So with that, let's uh, dive into the story. Ah, here we are in the library uh, as we begin to read chapter eight of uh, this book titled My Holidays, Especially One Happy Afternoon. Burp. When we arrived before day at the inn where the mail stopped, which was not the inn where my friend the waiter lived, I was shown up to a, uh, a nice little bedroom with dolphin painted on the door. Very cold I was, I know, notwithstanding the hot tea they had given me before a large fire downstairs, and very glad I was to turn into the dolphin's bed, pull the dolphin's blankets around my head, and go to sleep. Uh, Mr. Barkis, the carrier, was to call uh, for me in the morning at 9 o'clock. I got up at 8, uh, a little giddy <laughs> from the shortness of my night's rest, and was ready for him before the appointed time. He received me exactly as if not five minutes had elapsed since we were last together, and I had only been into the hotel to get changed for sixpence or something of that sort. As soon as I and my box were in the cart, and the carrier seated, the lazy horse walked away with all of us at the, the accustomed pace. Eh, you look very well, Mr. Barkis, I said, thinking he would like to know it. Eh, Mr. Barkis rubbed his cheek with his cuff, and then looked at his cuff, as if he expected to find some sort of bloom upon it, but made no other acknowledgement of the compliment. I, I gave your message, Mr. Barkis, I said. I, I wrote to Peggy. Ah, said Mr. Barkis. Mr. Barkis seemed gruff and answered dryly. Uh, wasn't it right, Mr. Barkis? I asked after a little hesitation. Why, no, said Mr. Barkis. Not, not the message? The message uh, was right enough, perhaps, said Mr. Barkis, but it came to an end there. Uh, not understanding what he meant, I repeated inquisitively, uh, come to an end, Mr. Barkis. Uh, nothing come of it, he explained, uh, looking at me sideways. No answer. Uh, there was an answer expected, was there, Mr. Barkis? 
said I, opening my eyes, for this was a, a new light to me. When a man says he's willing, said Mr. Barkis, turning his glance slowly at me again, it is as much as to say that a man's a-waiting for an answer. Yeah, well, Mr. Barkis, well, said Mr. Barkis, carrying his eyes back to his horse's ears, that man's been a-waiting for an answer ever since. Have you told me so, Mr. Barkis? No, no, growled Mr. Barkis, reflecting about it. I ain't got no call to go and tell her so. I never said six words to her myself. I ain't to go and tell her so. Would you like me to do it, Mr. Barkis? Said I, doubtfully. You might tell her if you would, said Mr. Barkis, with another slow look at me, that Barkis was a-waiting for an answer, says you. Uh, What name is it? Uh, her name? Ah, said Mr. Barkis with a nod of his head. Uh, Peggotty. Yeah, Christian name or natural name, said Mr. Barkis. Oh, it's not her Christian name. Her Christian name is Clara. Is that though, said Mr. Barkis. He seemed to find an immense fund of reflection uh, in this circumstance and sat pondering and inwardly whistling for some time. Well, he resumed at length. Says you, Peggotty. Barkis is waiting. For an answer. Says she, perhaps, answer to what? Eh. This says you, uh, to what I told you. What is that? Says she. Barkis is willing, says you. That's extremely artful suggestion, Mr. Barkis accompanied with a nudge of his elbow to give me uh, quite a stitch in my side. After that, he slouched over his horse in his usual manner and made no other reference to the subject except half an hour afterwards, uh, taking a piece of chalk from his pocket and writing up uh, inside the tilt of the cart, Clara Peggotty. Apparently it's a private memorandum. Ah, what a strange feeling it was to be going home when it is not home and to find that every object I looked at reminded me of the happy old home, which was like a dream. I could never dream again, exclamation point, the days when my mother and I and Peggotty were all to one another, and there was no one to come between us, rose up before me so sorrowfully on the road that I'm not sure I was glad to be there, not sure but that I would rather have remained away and forgotten it in Steerforth's company. But there I was... And soon I was at our house, where the bare old elm trees wrung their many hands in the bleak uh, wintry air, and the shreds of the old rook's nest drifted away upon the wind. The carrier put my box down at the garden gate and uh, left me. Oh, I walked along the path toward the house, glancing at the windows and fearing at every step to see Mr. Murdstone or Miss Murdstone lowering out of one of them. Uh, no face appeared, however. And being come to the house, and knowing how to open the door before dark without knocking, I I went in with a a quiet, uh, timid step. God knows how infanting the memory may have been that was awakened within me by the sound of my mother's voice in the old parlor. When I set foot in the hall, ah, she was singing in a low tone. I think I must have lain in her arms and heard her singing so to me when I was but a baby. Ah, the strain was new to me, and yet it was so old that it filled my heart brimful, like a friend come back from a, from a long absence. I believed, from the solitary and thoughtful way in which my mother murmured her song that she was alone, and I went softly into the room 
and she was sitting by the fire, uh, suckling an infant whose uh, who's tiny hand she held against her neck. Oh, her eyes were looking down upon its face, and, and she sat singing to it. I was so far right that she had no other companion. I spoke to her, and she started and cried out, but seeing me, she called me her dear Davy, uh, her own boy, exclamation point, and coming half across the room to meet me, she kneeled down upon the ground and, uh, and, and kissed me and laid my head down on her bosom uh, near the little creature that was nestling there and, and, and put its hands to my lips. Oh, I wish I died. I wish I had died then, that feeling in my heart. I should have been more fit for heaven than I ever have been since. Eh, easier brother, said my mother, fondling me. Davy, my pretty boy, my, my poor child. And then she kissed me more and more and uh, clasped me round the neck. This she was doing when Peggotty came running in and bounced down on the ground beside us and went mad about us for a, for a quarter of an hour. It seemed that I had not been expected so soon, the carrier being much more uh, before his usual time. It seemed, too, that Mr. and Miss Murdstone had gone out upon a, a visit in the neighborhood and would not return before night. Oh, I had never hoped for this. I had never thought it possible that we three could be together undisturbed once more. And I felt for the time as if the old days were come back. Yeah, we dined together by the fireside. Peggy was in attendance to wait upon us, but my mother wouldn't let her do it and made her dine with us. And I had my old plate with that brown view of a man of war in full sail upon it, which Peggy had hoarded somewhere all the time that I had been away and would not have had it broken, as she said, for a, for a hundred pounds. I have my uh, my old mug with David on it, uh, and my old little knife and fork that wouldn't cut. While we were at the table, I thought it was a favorable occasion to tell Peggotty about Mr. About Mr. Parkus, who, before I had finished what I had, had to tell her, uh, began to laugh and throw her apron over her face. Ah, oh, Peggotty, said my mother. What's the matter? Peggotty only laughed the more and held her apron tight over her face when my mother tried to pull it away and sat as if her head were in a bag. What are you, what are you doing, you stupid creature, said my mother, laughing. Oh, drat the man, cried Peggotty. Yeah, he wants to marry me. That would be a very good match for you, wouldn't it, said my mother. Oh, oh, I don't know, said Peggotty. Don't ask me. I wouldn't give him, uh, I wouldn't have him if he, if he made of gold. Uh, no, I wouldn't have anybody. And then why don't you, why don't you tell him so, you ridiculous thing, said my mother. Tell him so, reported Peggotty, looking out of her apron. He has never said a word to me about it. Oh, you know, it's better. If he were to make so bold as to say a word to me, I, I should slap his face. Her own uh, was as red as ever. I saw it, or on any other face, I think. But she only covered it again for a few moments at a time, uh, when she was taken with a violent fit of laughter. And after two or three of these attacks, I uh, went on with her, with, her, with her dinner. I remarked that my mother, though she smiled when Peggotty looked at her, became more serious and thoughtful. I had seen at first that she was changed. Her face was very pretty still, but it, it looked careworn, a little too delicate. 
and her hand was so thin and white that it seemed to me to be almost transparent. Gross. But the change to which I now refer was super added to this. That's a word. And it was in her manner, which became anxious and fluttered. At last she said, putting out her hand and laying it affectionately on the hand of her old servant, Yeah, Peggy, dear, I, you're not uh, going to get married. Oh, me, ma'am, returned Peggy, staring. Lord bless you, no. And not just yet, said my mother tenderly. Never, cried Peggy. My mother took her hand and said, I don't leave me, Peggy. Stay with me. It will not be for long, perhaps. What should I ever do without you? Me leave you? Uh, my, my precious, cried Peggy. Not for all the world and his wife. Why, uh, what's to what put in your silly little head? For Peggy had been used to old, uh, to talk to my mother sometimes uh, like a child. But my mother made no answer except to thank her, and Peggy went running on in her own fashion. Me leave you? I think I, I, I see myself. Peggy, go away from you. I should like to catch her at it. No, 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 said Peggy, shaking her head and folding her arms. Not she, my dear. She's talking about herself in third person. It's really weird. It isn't that there aren't some cats that would be well enough pleased if she did. What is she talking about? But they shan't be pleased. They shall be aggravated, and I shall with you till I am a cross, cranky old woman. Too late. And when I am too deaf, and too lame, and too blind, and too mumbly for want of teeth. To be any use at all, even to be found fault with, then I shall go to my Davy and ask him to take me in. And Peggy, says I, I shall be glad to see you, and I'll make you as welcome as a queen. Oh, bless your dear heart, cried Peggy. I know you will. Ah, and she kissed me beforehand, in grateful acknowledgement of my hospitality. After that, she covered her head up uh, with an uh, apron again, and had another laugh about Mr. Barkis. After that, she took the baby out of his little cradle and, uh, and nursed it. After that, she cleared the dinner table, and after that, she came in with another cap on and her workbox, and the yard measure, and the bit of wax candle, all just the same as ever. Now we sat around the fire and talked delightfully. I told them what, I, what a hard master Mr. Kriegel was, and they pitied me very much. And I told them uh, what a fine fellow Steersforth was, and uh, what a patron of mine. And Peggy said that she would walk a score of miles to see him. I took the little baby in my arms... When it was awake and nursed it lovingly. When I was asleep again, I <clears throat> crept close to my mother's side, according to my old custom. Broken now, a long time, and sat with my arms embracing her waist, weird, and my little red cheek on her shoulder. And once more felt her beautiful hair drooping over me, like, a, like, like, like an angel's wing, as I used to think, I recollect, and I uh, was very happy indeed. Well, I, uh, well, I sat thus... Look at the fire, seeing pictures, the red-hot coals. I almost believe that I had never been away. That Mr. and Miss Murdstone were such pictures, it would vanish when the fire got low. And that there was nothing real in all that I remembered, save my mother, Peggy and I. Peggy darned away at a stocking as long as she could see, and then sat with it drawn on her left, like a, on her left hand like a glove. And her needle in the right, ready to take another stitch. Whenever there was blaze, 
Oh, I cannot conceive whose stockings they can have been that Peggotty was always darning. Or where such an unflailing supply of stockings in want of darning can have come from. From my earliest infancy, ah, she seems to have been always employed in that class of needlework, and never by any chance in any other. Eh. I wonder, said Peggotty, who was sometimes seized with a fit of wondering on this uh, most unexpected topic, and what's become of Davy's great aunt? Lord, Peggotty, observed my mother, rousing herself from a reverie, what nonsense you talk. Well, but I really do wonder, ma'am, said Peggotty. Uh, what can have put such a, a person in your head, inquired my mother. Is there nobody else in the world to come there? I don't know how it is, said Peggotty, unless it's on account of being stupid. But my head never can pick and choose its people. They they come and go, and they, they don't come, and they don't go. Just, just as they like, I wonder, what's become of her? Oh, how absurd you are, Peggotty, returned my mother. One would suppose you wanted a second visit from her. Oh, Lord forbid, cried Peggotty. Well, they don't talk about such uncomfortable things. Yeah, there's a, there's a good soul, said my mother. Miss Betsy is shut up in her cottage by the sea, no doubt, and will remain there uh, at all events. She is not likely to ever trouble us again. No, mused Peggotty. No, that ain't likely at all, I wonder. If she was to die, uh, whether she'd leave Davy anything... Oh, good gracious me, Peggotty, returned my mother. What a nonsensical woman you are when you know that she took offense at the poor dear boys ever being born at all. Well, I suppose she wouldn't be inclined to forgive him now, hinted Peggotty. Uh, why should she be inclined to forgive him now, said my mother rather sharply. Now that he's gotten a brother, I mean, said Peggotty. Oh, my mother immediately began to cry. It wondered how Peggotty dared to say such a thing. As if this poor little innocent in its cradle had ever done any harm to you or anybody else. You jealous thing, said she. You had better go and marry Mr. Barkis, the carrier. Oh, why don't you? Well, I should make Miss Murdstone happy if I was to, said Peggotty. And what a bad disposition you have, Peggotty, returned my mother. You are as jealous of Miss Murdstone as possible as a ridiculous creature can be. You, you want to keep the keys yourself and... And give out all the things, I suppose. I wouldn't be surprised if you did, when you know that she only does it out of uh, kindness and the best intentions. You know she does, Peggotty. You know it well. Peggotty muttered something to the effect of uh, bother the best intentions, and something else to the effect that there was a little too much of the best intentions going on. Oh, I know what you mean, you cross thing, said my mother. I understand you, Peggotty, uh, perfectly. You know I do. And I wonder you don't color up like a fire. At one point in a time, Miss Murdstone is the point now, Peggotty, and you shan't escape from it. Haven't you heard her say, over and over again, uh, that she thinks I am... Too thoughtless and too, ah, uh, ah, uh, pretty, suggested Peggotty. Well, returned my mother, half laughing. And if she is so silly as to say, uh, to say so, can I be blamed for it? No one says you can, said Peggotty. No, I should hope not indeed, returned my mother. Haven't you heard her say over and over again on that account that she wished to spare me a great deal of trouble, which she thinks I am not suited for, and which I really don't know myself that I am suited for? And isn't it she up early and late and going to and fro continually? And doesn't she do all sorts of things and grope into all sorts of places, uh, coal holes and, uh, and pantries, and I don't know where? 
which can't be very agreeable. And do you mean to insinuate that there is not a sort of a devotion in that? Nah, I don't insinuate at all, said Peggotty. You do, Peggotty, returned my mother. You never do anything else except your work. You're always uh, insinuating. Oh, you revel in it. Eh, hey, will you talk of Mr. Murdstone's good intentions? Oh, I never talked of him, said Peggotty. Well, with that, uh, let's take a little break. Why don't you and I slide into the master bedroom, and uh, I can read uh, a book review of an upcoming romance novel, which I, I'm sure will titillate and delight you. Ah, you beat me here. Hey, look at you. You're all ready for a, a little break, a little romp in the silken sheets of the uh, bed in the master bedroom. Well, I want to get weird with you as I read to you uh, a new romance novel called Smoke Bitten by Patricia Briggs. So get ready to role play as I tell you about the author. Uh, Merc uh, Mercy Thompson is a car mechanic and shapeshifter. Uh, no. This is the story. Faces a threat unlike any other in this thrilling entry. Ah, crap. In the number one New York Times bestselling series. They're all number one New... I, this is the thing I say in every episode, but it's ridiculous how many books are number one New York Times bestselling series. Uh, I am Mercedes Athena Thompson Hauptman. It's a long name. My only, quote, superpowers, unquote, is that I turn into a 35-pound coyote uh, with... And I fix Volkswagens. But I have friends in odd places and a pack of werewolves at my back. And it looks like I'm gonna need them. Centuries ago, where's the romance? The uh, Fay dwelt in Underhill until she locked her doors against them. They left behind their great castles and troves of magical artifacts. They abandoned their prisoners and their pets without the Fay to mind them, those creatures who remained behind roamed freely through Underhill, wreaking havoc. Only the deadliest survived. Where's the romance? Now, one of those prisoners has escaped. Oh, is a romance going to happen? It can look like anyone, any creature it chooses. But if it bites you, it controls you. Oh, it lives for chaos and destruction. It can make you do anything, even a, even a kill a person that you love the most. Now it's here in the Tri-Cities, in my territory. I won't, can't remain. Not if I have anything to say about it. Well, nothing about that seems romantic. It's in the romance section. All right, whatever. Well, it's, it's going to be available March 17th of 2020. If you want to read something with the promise of romance without providing any of it, uh, then go ahead and pick that up. Smoke Bitten by Patricia Briggs. It's, uh, well, it's turned me off. So the role play that I was prepared to pay for you, and not into it. Put your clothes back on. Let's get back in the library and finish reading this book. Well, let us return back to this weird argument that Peggy is having with Davy's mom. No, Peggotty, returned my mother. But you insinuated. That's what I told you just now. That's the worst of you. You will insinuate. I said at the moment that I understood you, and you see, I did. 
when you talk of Mr. Murdstone's good intentions and pretend to slight them, for I don't believe you really do in your heart, Peggotty, you must as be well uh, conceived as I am how good they are and how they act- actuate him in everything. Eh, if he seems to have been at all stern with a certain person, Peggotty, you understand, and so I am sure does Davy. Burp that I'm not alluding to anybody present. It is solely because he is satisfied that it is for a certain person's benefit. He naturally loves a certain person, on my account, and acts solely for a certain person's good. He is better to able to judge of it than I am, for I very well know that I am a weak, light, and girlish creature, and that he is a firm, grave, serious man. And he takes... My, said my mother, with tears which were engendered in her affectionate nature, stealing down her face, he takes great pains with me, and I ought to be very thankful to him, and very submissive to him, uh, even in my thoughts, and when I am not peggotty, I worry and condemn myself, and feel doubtful of my own heart, and don't know uh, what to do. Peggotty sat with her chin on her foot of her stocking and looking silently at the fire. There, Peggotty, said my mother, changing her tone. Don't let us fall out with one another, for I couldn't bear it. You are my true friend, I know, and I have any in the world when I call you a ridiculous creature or a vexious thing or anything of that sort, Peggotty. I only mean that you are my true friend and always have been. Ever since the night when Mr. Copperfield first brought me here, and you came out of the gate to meet me. Peggotty was not slow to respond and ratify the treaty of friendship by giving me one of her best hugs. I think I had some glimpses of the real character of the conversation at the time, but I am sure now that the good creature originated it and took her part in it merely that my mother might comfort herself with little contradictory summary in which she had indulged. The design was efficacious, for I remember that my mother seemed more at ease during the rest of the evening and that Peggotty observed her less. When we had our tea and the ashes were thrown up and the candles snuffed, I read Peggotty a chapter out of the crocodile book in remembrance of old times. She took it out of her pocket. I don't know whether she had kept it there ever since. And, and when we talked about Salem House, which brought me round again to Steerforth, who was my great subject, we were very happy. And that evening, at the last of its race, and destined evermore to close that volume of my life, will never pass out of my memory. It was almost ten o'clock before we heard the sound of wheels. We all got up then, and my mother sat hurriedly that, as it was so late, and Mr. and Miss Murdstone approved of early hours for young people. Perhaps I had better go to bed. I kissed her and went upstairs with my candle directly before they came in. It appeared my childish fancy as I ascended to the bedroom where I had been imprisoned, that they brought a cold blast of air to the house, which blew away the old familiar feeling like a feather. I felt uncomfortable about going down to breakfast in the morning, as I had never set eyes on Mr. Murdstone since the day when I committed my memorable offense. However, it must be done. I went down after two or three false starts halfway, and as many runs back up on tiptoe to my own... This is like a cartoon... He starts to go down the stairs, then he tiptoes his way back up to the room, and then goes back down, tiptoes, this is weird, and presented myself in the parlor. He was standing before the fire with his back to it, while Miss Murdstone made the tea. 
He looked at me steadily as I entered, but made no sign of recognition whatsoever. Oh, I went up to him after a moment of confusion and said, uh, I beg your pardon, sir. I am very sorry for what I did, and I hope that you'll forgive me. Ah, I'm glad to hear you're sorry, David, he replied. The hand he gave me was the hand I had bitten. I could not restrain my eye from resting for an instant on the red spot upon it, but it was not so red as I had turned, and when I met that sinister expression in his face, yeah, how do you do? Yeah, Ma'am, I said to Miss Murdstone. Ah, yeah, dear me, sighed Miss Murdstone, giving me the tea caddy scoop instead of her fingers. How long are the holidays? Uh, a month, ma'am. Counting from, uh, from when? From today, ma'am. Oh, said Miss Murdstone. Uh, here's one day off. She kept a calendar uh, of the holidays in this way, and every morning checked the day off in exactly the same manner. She did it gloomily until she came to ten. And when she got into two figures, she became more hopeful, and as the time advanced, even jocular. And it was on this very first day that I had the misfortune to throw her, though she was not subject to such weakness in general, into a state of violent consternation. I came into the room where she and my mother were sitting, and the, and the baby, who was only a few weeks old, being on my mother's lap, I took it very carefully into my arms, and suddenly Miss Murdstone gave such a scream that... Uh, I all but dropped it. My dear Jane, cried my mother. Oh, good heavens, Clara, do you see? exclaimed Miss Murdstone. See what, dear Jane, said my mother. Where? He's got it, cried Miss Murdstone. You'll need to unlock your iPhone first. <laughs> Apparently something I said sounds like Siri. Well, that just made my phone go. And the boy's got the baby. She was limp with horror but stiffened herself to make a dart at me and then take it out of my arms. Then she turned faint and was so very ill that they were obliged to give her sherry brandy. Hmm. And I was solemnly indoctrinated by her. And on a recovery from touching my brother or any more of my penance whatsoever, my poor mother, who I could see wished otherwise, meekly confirmed the interdict by saying, No doubt you are right, my dear Jane. Ah, another occasion, uh, when we three were together, this same dear baby, it was truly dear to me, for our mother's sake, was uh, the innocent occasion of Miss Murdstone's going into a passion. My mother, who had been looking at its eyes as it lay upon her lap, said, yeah, uh, Davy, uh, come here, and looked at mine. I saw Miss Murdstone lay her beads down. I declare, said my mother gently, they are exactly alike. I suppose they are mine. I think they are the color of mine, but they are wonderfully alike. Uh, what are you talking about, Clara? said Miss Murdstone. My dear Jane, faltered my mother, a little abashed by the harsh tone of the inquiry. I find that the baby's eyes and Davy's, ooh, are exactly alike. Yeah, Clara, said Miss Murdstone, rising angrily. You are a positive fool sometimes. Ah, oh, my dear Jane, remonstrated my mother. A positive fool, said Miss Murdstone. Who else could compare my brother's baby with your boy? They're not at all alike. Ah, they're exactly unalike. They are utterly dissimilar in all respects. I hope they will ever remain so. I will not sit here and hear such comparisons made. With that, she stalked out and made the door bang after her. In short... 
I was not a favorite with Miss Murdstone. I ain't sure I was not a favorite there with anybody. Not even a, eh, with myself. For those who did like me could not show it, and those who did not showed it so plainly that I had a sensitive uh, consciousness of always uh, appearing constrained, uh, boorish, and dull. Burp. I felt that I had made them as uncomfortable as they made me. If I came into the room where they were and they were talking together, my mother seemed cheerful, and an anxious cloud would steal over her face from the moment of my entrance, and if Miss Murdstone uh, were in the best humor, I checked it, and if Mrs. Murdstone were in the worst, I intensified it. I had the perception enough to know that my mother was the victim always, that she was afraid to speak to me or to be kind to me, lest she should give them some offense by her manner of doing so, and I received lecture afterwards that she was not only ceaselessly afraid of her own offending, but uh, of my offending, and uneasily watched their looks if I only moved. Therefore, I resolved to keep myself as much out of their way as I could, and many a wintry hour did I hear the church clock strike. When I was sitting in a cheerless bedroom, uh, wrapped in my little greatcoat, poring over a book. In the evening, sometimes, I went and sat with Peggy in the kitchen. There I was comfortable, and not afraid of uh, being myself. But neither of these resources was approved of in the parlor. The tormenting humor which was dominant there stopped them both. I was still held to be necessary to my poor mother's training, and as one of her trials, could not be suffered to absent myself. David! said Mr. Murdstone one day after dinner when I was going to leave the room as usual. I am sorry to observe that you are of a sullen disposition. Eh, eh, sulky's a bear, said Miss Murdstone. Oh, I stood still and hung my head. Now, David, said Mr. Murdstone, a sullen, obdurate disposition, of all tempers is the worst. And the boy is, of all dispositions that I've ever seen, remarked his sister, the most confirmed and stubborn, I think. My dear Clara, even you must observe it. I beg your pardon, my dear Jane, said my mother, but are you quite sure? I am certain you'll excuse me, my dear Jane, that you understand, Davy. I should be somewhat ashamed of myself, Clara, returned Miss Murdstone, if I could not understand the boy, or any boy. I don't profess to be profound, but I do lay claim to common sense. Uh, no doubt, my dear Jane, returned my mother, your understanding is very vigorous. Oh, dear, no, pray don't say that, Clara, imposed Miss Murdstone angrily. Uh, but I'm sure it is, resumed my mother, and everybody knows it. Uh, I profit so much by it myself, in many ways, at least I ought to, that no one can be more convinced of it than myself. And therefore I speak with great uh, diffidence, my dear Jane, I assure you. "'We'll say I don't understand the, the boy, Clara,' returned Miss Murdstone, arranging the little fetters of her wrist. "'We'll agree, if you please, that I don't understand him at all. "'He is much too deep for me, but perhaps my brother's uh, penetration "'may enable him to have some insight into his character. "'And I believe my brother was speaking on the subject "'when we very decently interrupted him.'" I think that was a lot of dialogue to finally go, "'Oh, we interrupted you.'" I think, Clara, said Mr. Murdstone in a low, grave voice, that there may be better and more dispassionate judges of such a question than you. 
Edward, replied my mother timidly, you are a far better judge of all questions than I pretend to be. Both you and Jane are. I only said you only said something weak and inconsiderate, he replied. Yeah, try not to do it again, my dear Clara, and, and keep a watch upon yourself. Now, my mother's lips moved as if she answered, yes, my dear Edward, but she said nothing loud. I was sorry, David, I remarked, said Mr. Murdstone, turning his head and his eyes stiffly toward me, to observe that you are of a ah, solid disposition. Ah, this is not a character that I can suffer to develop uh, itself beneath my eyes without an effort of improvement. You must endeavor, uh, sir, to change it. We must endeavor to change it for you. I beg your pardon, sir, I faltered. I never meant to be sullen since I came back. Now, don't take refuge in a lie, sir, he returned so fiercely that I saw my mother involuntarily put out her trembling hand as if to interpose between us. Now, you have withdrawn yourself into your sullenness on your own, in your own room. Now, you kept your own room when you ought to have been there. You know now, once and for all, that I require you to be here. Now, not there. Further, that I require you to bring obedience here. Oh, you know me, David, and I will have it done. Miss Murdstone gave a, a hoarse chuckle. I will have a respectful, prompt, and ready bearing toward myself, he continued, and toward Jane Murdstone and toward your mother, and I will not have this room shunned as if it were infected at the pleasure of a child. Sit down. He ordered me like a dog, and I, I obeyed like a dog. Uh, one thing more, he said. I observe that you have an attachment to low and common company. Yeah, you're not to associate with servants, and the kitchen will not improve you in many respects in which you, you need improvement. Of the women who abets you, I say nothing, since you, Clara, addressing my mother in a lower voice, from old associations and uh, long-established fancies, have a weakness respecting her, which is not yet overcome. Yeah, uh, most unaccountable delusion it is, cried Miss Murdstone. Oh, I only say, he resumed, addressing me, that I disapprove of you preferring such company as Miss Peggotty. That it is to be abandoned. Now, David, you understand me, and you know uh, what the, will be the consequence if you fail to obey me to the letter. Oh, I knew well. Better perhaps than he thought, as far as my poor mother was concerned, and I obeyed him to the letter. And I retreated to my own room no more. Oh, I took refuge with Peggotty no more, but sat wearily in the parlor. Oh, day after day, looking forward to night and bedtime. Yeah, what irksome constraint I underwent sitting in the same attitude, hours upon hours, afraid to move an arm or a leg, lest Miss Murdstone should complain as she did, to the least pretense, of my restlessness and afraid to move an eye lest she should light on some look of dislike or uh, scrutiny that would uh, find new cause for complaint in mind. What intolerable dullness had to sit to the listening to the ticking of the clock and watching Miss Murdstone's little shiny steel bees as she strung them and wondering whether she uh, would ever be married. And if so... And what sort of unhappy men, and counting the divisions in the molding of the chimney place, and uh, wandering away with my eyes to the ceiling among the curls and corkscrews and the paper on the wall, exclamation point, uh, what walks I took alone down muddy lanes in the bad winter weather, carrying that parlor and Mr. and Miss Murdstone in it, everywhere a monstrous load 
that I was obliged to bear. Uh, Daymare. Ah, that's a nice little twist. That there was no possibility of breaking in. Uh, Wait, that it brooded on my wits and blunted them. What meals I had in silence and embarrassment, always feeling that there were a knife and a fork too many, and that mine, and an appetite too many, and that mine, uh, a plate, and a chair too many, and those mine, a somebody too many, and that I, exclamation point. What evenings, when the candles came, this chapter's kind of bugging me, and when I was expected to deploy myself, but not daring to read an entertaining book poured over by some hard-headed, harder-hearted treaties on arithmetic, uh, when the tables of weights and measures set themselves to tunes as Rule Britannia, or Away with Melancholy, when they wouldn't stand still to be learnt, but would go threading my grandmother's needle through my unfortunate head, at one ear and out the other, exclamation point, that yawns and dozes I laughed into in spite of all my care. Uh, what starts I came out of, concealed sleeps with, and what answers I never got. To little observations that I rarely made, what a blank space I seemed, which everybody overlooked, and yet was in everybody's way. Ah, what a heavy relief it was to hear Miss Murdstone hail the first stroke of nine at night and order me to bed. Thus the holidays lagged away until the morning came when Miss Murdstone said, Hey, here's the, here's the last day off, and gave me the closing cup of tea on the, on the vacation. Oh, I was not sorry to go. I had lapsed into a stupid state, but I was recovering a little and looking forward to steer forth. I'll bet Mr. Creakle loomed behind him. Again, Mr. Barkus appeared at the gate, and again Miss Murdstone, in her warning voice, said, Clara, when my mother bent over me to bid me farewell. I kissed her and my baby brother, and was very sorry then, but not sorry to go away, for the gulf between us was there, and the parting was there every day. It is not so much the embrace that she gave me that lives in my mind, though it was as fervent as I could be, as what followed the embrace. I was in the carrier's cart when I heard her calling to me, and I looked out, and she stood at the garden gate alone, holding her baby up in her arms for me to see. It was cold weather, and uh, not a hair on her head nor fold of her dress was stirred, as she looked intently at me, holding up her child. So I lost her. So I saw her afterwards in my sleep at school, a silent presence near my bed, looking at me with the same intent face, holding up her baby in her arms. Well, uh... That chapter was really long and boring, um, but it's the first chapter that I've been poo-pooing so far in this book. Uh, what happened? Not a whole lot. It was a lot of pages dedicated to uh, David finding out that his mom's got a baby. Uh, then as he sits around having dinner with uh, Clara and Peggy, uh, he tells Peggy, uh, the carriage guy's into you, and oh boy, there's a ton of laughing. And she says, oh, I don't like him. And then she giggles insanely holding up her clothes in front of her face and then Claire and Peggy argue a lot about Mr. Murdstone that went on forever and Mr. Murdstone comes back late uh, at night like 10 o'clock at night with his sister so that's weird 
that his sister is closer to him than his own wife. And then David spends the month uh, trying to avoid him, yeah, but they force him to hang out, saying you can't hide in your room, and then they just complain about him the whole time and make him feel like uh, he's on edge. He sits around waiting to go back to bed again. Clara says, uh, ah, this new baby's got David's eyes. And then the Murdstones throw a tantrum, saying, no, he doesn't. And then they argue about that. And then there's a lot more arguing, and then yelling at Clara, and yelling at David, and saying, stay away from Peggy. She's low class. And then uh, David finally gets to go back to school. Eh, eh, what's good? Eh, the story's still good, but this chapter out of all the rest is a, a dumb crap chapter. They could have dedicated more time to him with his classmates hanging out in the room, gossiping and scrapping and yelling, doing what boys do, but instead we got a, a huge chapter dedicated to this. What sucks? Uh, I don't know. That David has to go back and hang out with his family, and uh, they're really sucking the mom down and making her miserable. They got this baby. She's just standing at the gate holding the baby up as David's driving away. That's kind of weird. Kind of a weird, intense moment. Like, look at the baby. Accept the baby. It was just weird. Uh, what did we learn? Babies are a touch point. A uh, hot button issue. Uh, never talk about babies too much because someone will always get uh, pissed off. Well, with that, uh, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business, to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. <laughs>